Today's podcast is brought to you by Something Blue by Anita Kay, specializing in wedding and event photography. Visit her page on Facebook. For those in love, capture those memories with Something Blue by Anita Kay. It's really big. It's getting bigger and bigger. My love bigger than a candle this has got to be much, much, much bigger. The biggest fool. This is probably the biggest thing I ever got into. That's big, big, big. The Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast with Mark Pulo starts now. We can't give them this much power in the cartoon world. A podcast, and I was told that if I did your podcast that I would, you know, advance to the next level. And we're podcasting and photographizing in front of the great... The worst gigs of their life are, are with, because of Mark Pulo's. <laughs> Anyone want a husband? Free, free to a home. Now it doesn't even have to be a good home, just free to a home. Ladies and gentlemen, Andre the Giant would like to do his impression of Willie Nelson. Suck yourself dry! Alright. Hello folks and welcome back to the Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Poulos. And we are back. Today on the program, I'm going to talk about something that's been in the news the last couple weeks. People calling Amy Schumer a joke thief. And I guess it uh, popped in my brain to do this podcast because uh, this morning somebody posted a video that said uh, something like definitive proof that Amy Schumer is a joke thief. And it was, you know, all of these occasions where one of her jokes sounded like another comedian's jokes. And, uh, you know, they raise their fist in the air and say, you know, aha, this is definitive proof. And I got to tell you, when I first heard about this story and people started talking about Amy Schumer being a joke thief, um, I kind of went on the bandwagon initially. I was like, um, you know, it makes sense because I thought she was funny. I didn't really think any of her stuff was groundbreaking, like, uh, but you know, you get into a cycle sometimes when you're a comedian and you see people succeed and it's really easy to take the road of jealousy and the idea of, uh, you know, why them, why not me type of thing instead of, you know, just being happy for them. I went through a really bad cycle, um, with my addiction and stuff where I kind of took pleasure in watching people fail and, and taking pleasure in people you know, not doing well, because I wasn't doing well, so I didn't want to see anybody else doing well, you know, and, and it's kind of a deteriorating cycle, you know, and a friend kind of opened my eyes to the fact, you know, I, I think it was around the time of uh, Last Comic Standing, and there was a few people on Last Comic Standing that were making it really far in the competition that I didn't really think deserved it, because... I didn't think they were as funny as the other comedians and the other ones were my friends and the ones making it through weren't and you know and then I went and auditioned for Last Comic Standing and I didn't even make it through to the next round and it was just more and more like anger and obsession with the fact of why I didn't move on and they moved on you know and this friend of mine was just like you know you can't look at things that way you have to look at it like you know here's a person that you know that's like on your level as a comedian and they're on NBC. Um, you should hope that the show continues on because I kept like 
oh, this show is just going to get canceled again because it's horrible. But she's like, you should hope that the show goes on long enough that, you know, somebody notices your talent and puts you on the show, you know. And that's kind of the way you have to look at it. It's just like, you know, she's obviously newly famous. So everybody is going to pick apart every word that she's saying and everything that she does. And, and a lot of the stuff that's coming out online is critiquing her sitcom that she does for Comedy Central, which is inside Amy Schumer, and how a lot of her skits are, are like skits from other sketch shows, and, and uh, some of her sketches are jokes from other comedians, kind of like how they tore down uh, Carlos Mencia when all of his, his thief stuff came out, and and Carlos is a, a little bit different, um, and I was kind of on his side with the whole, like the big joke that came out that really forced people to start looking at Carlos Mencia as if he was a joke stealer was, he did this joke about, um, so they're deciding to build a wall between Mexico and America, and when the wall decides to get built, who do you think are gonna they're going to hire to build the wall? Mexicans. And... It's a very, very easy joke to get to. And somebody posted a video a while after that where it was like 10 comedians doing the exact same joke. And that wasn't the one that I had the real problem with. The one I had a problem with was from his uh, HBO special where he basically stole a Bill Cosby joke, um, which this was before the whole rape and stuff. So, I mean, I think all of Bill Cosby's jokes are up for grabs now, but it was pretty obvious that he was, that he was stealing, um, that joke. But back to Amy Schumer, like, I don't think when they talk about her being a joke thief, which I don't think she is, but when they, when they talk about that and in the same breath, they put up her, uh, her skits from her television show as evidence of her thievery, like, I have a problem with that, because it's like, with the TV show, she has a team of writers, and yes, she hired the writers, um, so she should have an idea of their integrity and, and where they're coming from, but the, the fact of the matter is, like, getting a job as a writer on a nationally televised sitcom is like the World Series if you're a comedy writer. Like, it's where you want to be. It's where the money is. And it's high pressure. Like, any book or podcast you listen to about, you know, the writers that were on Saturday Night Live through, like, the booming years and now, they always talk about, like, how much of a, a, a stressful situation is to just constantly be, like, churning out ideas and, you know that's the thing. It's like, you're under so much pressure to, uh, to get these ideas out and not only get churn ideas out, but churn ideas out that actually turn into skits and go on television. So I don't think it's any stretch of the imagination that some of the writers on her team, you know, got to a point where like none of their sketches are getting on television and nobody is kind of paying attention to them and they're kind of on the pay no mind list and there's maybe threats or thoughts of threats that that maybe they'd lose their job and somebody better would take them over like 
I don't see there being any question that maybe they kind of pull ideas from other places, you know, where maybe it was a show they used to work on and those sketches didn't make it on television, but they were still good ideas, so they pitch them again. Or maybe it's stuff they've seen and, you know, be like, uh, you know, this, this sketch was on television so long ago, like nobody probably remembers it. So I'm going to pitch that idea, you know, and it's the, the sense of like just getting one good one out there. So they're like, you know, this guy is a good writer and we can keep him on the show and we're not going to fire him. So I, whenever they talk about Amy Schumer being a joke thief, I don't know if her television show should ever be um, put into the mix. It should always just be based on her, on her material. And so it comes down to the idea, which a lot of people that aren't in comedy um, aren't familiar with, and it's the idea of parallel thinking. And basically all parallel thinking is, is the idea of like joke writing. We, we write what we know, like we write jokes about our life. We write jokes about the life that we lead and the, and the things that we do and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, I submit to you, like if you go and watch a comedian in Dallas, Texas, who's married and has, you know, two toddlers and watch his act and what he writes about and what what is important to him and then go to, like, Chicago and watch a comedian who's married with two toddlers. And these two comedians have never met before. And you'd be surprised at how similar their material is. And it's not because they're joke thieves, it's because they're living basically the same lives and they're, they're writing the same material. You know, people are always like asking me, you know, hey Mark, who, who, who's the hardest person for you to follow? Is it like somebody who's really strong? Is it a, a female comic? Is it a black comic? Is, blah, blah. Is it a musician comic? And I always tell them, I'm like, the person that's the hardest for me to follow is a, is a comedian who's exactly like me. You know, uh, there's been many a times in my career I've had to follow like six foot five, overweight, balding fathers with kids, comedians. And it's like, it's the hardest for me to follow them because all their material is exactly the same as mine. They're going to talk about how hard it is to be tall or how hard it is to, like, keep your weight in check and how tough it is to be a comedian father and, like, all this kind of stuff. It's like, you know, it's parallel thinking. And so I think if you took any comedian's act and you broke it down and you started comparing, like, every joke to, like, every other person's joke... um, you're going to find instances where, where they're finding the same thing in, in Amy Schumer's jokes where it's like, oh, this is a Wendy Lieberman joke and this is a Kathleen Madigan joke and this is, you know, a Tammy Pescatelli joke. It's like the amount of time that you have to take to like scour between material and try to find, you know, nitpick this and that. It's just like, it happens to everybody. I, 
I've been accused of joke thieving in the past. Like, if you listened to my podcast on Lisa Lampanelli, like, I got fired over the idea that I stole her joke. And it's just, like, so ludicrous, the idea that um, talking about somebody who's on house arrest and wearing an ankle bracelet would be this ingenious joke that nobody else could do. And, and if they did, you would have to accuse them of stealing. It's, you know, it's, it's just stupid. And what's funny, too, is I, I found myself in, in the swirls of parallel thinking early on in my career. I wrote this joke um, that I still do because I don't think... I don't think it's, it's, um, I didn't steal it. I wrote it, you know, and, and the, so basically what it is, is I, I was home one day and my sister would get, um, 17 magazine and she would read it. Obviously this was when I was younger, just starting out in comedy. Um, so I looked at the cover and it said something about, um, ways that a girl, could get a guy to like her or, or, uh, how to make a guy feel wanted or something like that. And immediately in my head, I'm like 17 years old, how to make a guy feel wanted, you know, just touch his dick, you know? (laughs) And so the joke evolved into basically me saying, uh, I saw this article that said 10 ways to, uh, to please your man. And I said, that article could have been two words long, touch it. And I did that joke for a long time. And what's funny is like when I first started doing that joke, um, there was a comedian in Minneapolis who had a joke. To this day, I don't know why he felt like our jokes were exactly the same. So his joke was, um, if you're ever worried that your girlfriend or your wife is faking orgasms, take your wife out to a nice dinner and dancing and everything and then when she gets home just listen to what she sounds like when she's taking her shoes off at night because that's a woman in pure ecstasy is when she's getting those heels off and she's rubbing her feet on the couch like that's that's the sound that your woman makes when she's in pure ecstasy and then he said if you want to know what your man sounds like in pure ecstasy just touch his penis. So that was his joke. And somebody had told him, because I was doing the club at the Mall of America, somebody told him that I was doing his joke uh, on stage. And at the time, it got such a laugh that it was my closer. So somebody told him that I was doing his joke as my closer. And at the time, he was working at a club in Ohio, and he literally got in his car and drove all the way home to confront me about stealing his joke. And there was a lot of people on my side because they're like, it's just parallel thinking. It's not even the same joke. But he, like, hounded me forever to stop doing his joke and all this kind of stuff. And and it was just a stupid situation. But there's been other times where there was one time where it was so, where someone stole my joke and it was so blatant and what's funny is it happened right in front of my face um, so I was working with this comic out of Milwaukee and I was doing this joke and the basic idea of the joke was I saw Asian people wearing cheese heads 
at the Green Bay Packers game and I said, oh look, it's cheese nips. Because nip is a derogatory term for Japanese that they used in World War II. Anyway, so I did the joke all week and I think it was about a year later I worked with this comic again. And what's funny is I did my cheese nip joke during my set and then this comic got on stage and about 10 minutes into their act did my joke, did the cheese nip joke, and it got no laughs. And I feel like they did it because we were in Wisconsin and they thought it was going to get a good laugh and then it didn't. And the comic was like, uh, oh wow, I've never seen that joke die before. And somebody in the crowd was like, well yeah, because we just heard it. And she goes, what do you mean? We just heard it. And the guy was like, the comic before you told that exact same joke. And the comic looked at me and was like, was that your joke? And I said, yeah, I did it the last time we worked together, so I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't do my material anymore. And they just, like, freaked out and and got so apologetic and all this kind of stuff. And, And I think that's the first time, at least from my point of view, that I've ever caught someone full-fledged, like, stealing my joke. And I don't know if it was... There's no way that that was parallel thinking. That right there is, like, specific... It's so specific that it's just, like, it's hard to overlook. Because the wording was exactly the same. And cheese nip, it's like... um, Because that's what I did when I first started in comedy. Like, I never wanted to have jokes that sounded like other people's jokes. So when I first started in comedy, like... I wrote really weird material because I'm like, well, nobody's going to have a joke about buying Ethiopian kids off eBay or uh, nobody's going to have a joke about this or that. And and it's like, as you get further in your career, you know, you just kind of write more material that aligns with your life. And it's just eventually you get to a point where, you know, you're going to have jokes about being married and about having kids and, and it's going to cross over into people's laps. And it's just like, cheese nip was so specific I'm like there's no way that that was a mistake you know and they tried to explain it away that somebody told them the joke after the show and and then they were like that's funny I'm going to use it in my act not knowing it was my joke they were telling them or whatever and so I don't know I think the other uh I think the funniest one was was my single mom joke like I this, like, the single mom material in my act, like, really defined me for a while in my career, and I had the coin phrase Smilf, which meant single mom I'd like to fuck, and, and now Smilf is everywhere, I guess, you know, somebody picked up on it, or, you know, that's another way of, like, parallel thinking, you know, you think Milf, single mom, Smilf, it's kind of easy to get to, but there were so many guys that were doing jokes across the country about, uh, sleeping with single moms, And them having really good snacks or giving them orange wedges and and taking them to soccer games and all this kind of stuff. And and people would call me all the time and be like, I'm in Los Angeles, this guy's doing your joke. Or I'm in Chicago, this guy's doing your joke. And at first I got like really angry because I'm like, God, I worked so hard on that joke and these guys are just stealing it. And then I started watching some of the videos and it's like, it's not really my joke. It's the same idea. And finally, I just got to the point where I'm like, they're not really stealing my joke. It's just the same idea. And I don't know, man. It's a lot of these jokes are just so easy to get to. 
and you know you listen to uh, Amy Schumer's material and and they they nitpick and they cherry pick like a few a few ideas that sound like other people's ideas and and then they're like oh she's a joke thief you know and it just it seems far-fetched and at least from my point of view I just I don't think that that she's a joke thief I just don't get it you know and other people are going to be like you know there's just too much evidence out there for her not to be a joke thief and I submit to you like go go out and and watch like all of her comedy and then just kind of put it up against all the other comedy that's out there and if there's like six or seven jokes in there that kind of sound like other people's jokes you know it's just like it happens in comedy it's like you write what you live you know it's like oh she does all these this graphic sexual material there's so many other female comedians that do the graphic sexual material well it's like you write what you know you know if she's sleeping around and and doing all this stuff that's what she's gonna write you know and she's a female so it's like right there there's going to be a majority of material that she's going to get to that a lot of other female comics are going to get to. So, I mean, my two cents on the whole thing is I think the majority of it is parallel thinking. Um, you know, especially the New York comics, they all kind of write together. So some of the ideas may cross over um, this way or that. And like I said, you can't ever put her sitcom in the mix as though she's stealing ideas just like i don't think carlos mencia's sitcom should have been you know moved into the the joke stealing ideas for him too but i heard that he had a lot more of a a head writer position on his show so some of those ideas that they said were were stolen i guess um uh, you know makes more sense but i don't know it's just my two cents on the whole situation, and and uh, I wish her all the success in the world. And I really don't think that she's stealing jokes. Um, you know, other people are not going to give her the benefit of the doubt and attack her until they tear her back down. And I think that's kind of a shitty thing. You know, she's successful because she works hard and and she's been in the right place at the right time with the right people. And God bless her. So. Uh, if you want to check out this podcast, it's a uh, Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, tuned in pretty much anywhere podcasts are. And uh, I'm going to be updating my schedule here pretty soon with uh, upcoming dates. Um, if you're in Des Moines, I will be at um, the uh, Prairie Meadows Casino this Thursday. And if you're in and around the uh, Findlay, Ohio area, I will be at the uh, Marathon Center with Eric O'Shea on Saturday. So come out and see a show, people, and check out my website, largedrunkman.com, and tune in next time when we talk about who knows.